Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. I love the LA world that you're all so used to just cameras and lights that you don't even blink at what's going on here. It's just like a normal day at Starbucks or something for you. All right, hey, here's a real miracle. Karen Fields, our children's pastor, is here today. Uh, why that's a huge deal, not only is Karen amazing, but this is the first time that she's, I love that someone said big church before, that was so great. This is the first time that Karen is in big church uh, in like six months. And that is because we've actually have enough volunteers and people staffed outside to take care of our kids. People. If we're not getting you to sign up, I don't know what we're doing. Uh, every home has rules. Every home has ground rules that you think about. Some of you grew up in a world where when you come into your house, you take off your shoes. Uh, some of you have rules. When I grew up on Saturday morning, you clean the house. If you wanted to do anything, we clean. If you didn't clean, man, there was uh, some messaging coming at you pretty hard and quick. Right? In my, rule, we, in my house, we have a bunch of different rules, but really it's just about like the relationships that we have with one another. My least favorite word that I hear in our house, and the word that I think is the worst cuss word of all, is I'm bored. <laughs> bored? You are bored living in 2022 with the miracle of creation and life that you live in? Open your eyes to the gift that is the universe. And so it's always fun with my children, if they use that word, that we get into a bunch of different things, right? It's an opportunity and an invitation for wonder and for curiosity. And so it is often in my house that dinosaur books are out or animal books are out or we're looking at pictures of the world or my middle son, who is all about animals, says, Dad, who do you think would win in a fight, a Parasaurolophus or a Sarcosuchus, as you all know, <laughs> Right? Hey, Dad, did you know who do you think would win in a fight, a hippo or a Gorgoth? Because you all know that a Gorgoth was a hippo that lived in the last ice age in Europe, obviously, and was six tons, correct? <laughs> yes, because the world is filled with wonder and goodness. And then my other son, he's all into numbers right now. And here's a number that we came across the other day, just the wonder and the mystery of the universe. Did you know that there are more stars in the sky than there are sand in, on planet Earth? That on our planet, there is 75 sextillion sand grains, yeah, right? Which is 7.5 with 17 zeros on it. And the amount of stars that are in the universe is 70 septillion stars that we think that are in the known universe, which is seven with 23 zeros on it. So for every grain of sand, there's 10,000 stars. That should blow your mind. And what a great rule to have in your house of how could you be bored when there's endless wonder out there? We know nothing. We know nothing. And what an exciting opportunity to learn more and to play games. Or at dinner, if somebody says that we're bored, then we have, we pick an area in the world and then we play this game where you pick either Asian animals or African animals or North American animals or South, Af or South American animals and you have to go through and then, then you slowly, right, the person who says an animal that's already been said that you get out. The point is there's just endless interest that's going on. Those are the ground rules that we have in our house. That bored is not an option. That wonder and mystery and curiosity is what we do in the Marquez household, my friends. 
And so as we think about home this morning, I want to think about this radical idea of rebuilding home with one another. Now, I get it. For most of you, if you're in this place, in a place like New Abbey, you've gone through some deconstruction or you've been asking some questions or there's a version of church, maybe, or faith or spirituality that didn't work for you. Or you're just saying that thing is a little bit limiting or maybe it's even been oppressive or hurtful. Some of you are in this room because that thing has been downright traumatizing. But now you're back here on a Sunday morning inside of a church or this 1950s gymnasium. Thank you. (laughs) And we are participating in something together, but the thing that we're participating in together is not more cynicism, but it's more opportunity to rebuild, to reclaim, to renew the goodness of faith and spirituality and God and this way of Jesus that there is in this world. You can clap for that. I'll take that. That we're rebuilding home together. There are plenty of things to deconstruct. There are plenty of things to question. There are plenty of things to be angry at. And you should do that work. And we should do that work. But we should never stop there. And so now we are in a phase of reconstructing and rebuilding. And we are in everybody's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus, my friends. And Leviticus is all about rebuilding. And if you remember from last week when we got into the book of Leviticus, uh, we got through the first two verses because we're moving at a rapid rate. And today we will go back to the first verse because there's more work to be done. And by 2026, you will know this book in and out. That Leviticus is all about rebuilding. Because Genesis was all about building. It was about construction. It was about creation. It was about this is the world, the cosmology, the way that you understand things. And Exodus was all about deconstruction. You go from a story in Genesis where God is there creating everything and God is making relationship and covenant and then you start in the book of Exodus and God is completely absent. And it's the book of deconstruction. It's the book that you start in that first chapter of the people of God are now slaves crying out to God, where are you? And God says, I have heard your cries. I have heard your misery. And then God says to each and every one of us, I hear you in your deconstruction. I hear you in the anger. I hear you in the frustration. I hear you in the figuring it out. And I am with you. And Leviticus is now the story that through Exodus, through God liberating and saving and showing up and God making God's dwelling among us, now it's how do we practically actually rebuild our lives? And so normally if you were reading the Bible, you get to Leviticus and you take a nap and you stop reading the Bible again. But maybe we think about Leviticus as incredibly practical details for how we actually live and rebuild our lives. And so we're going to think about rebuilding a home together because I believe that it's one of the biggest narratives that's in the scripture that God wants to build a home with us, that God wants to dwell with us. That's the gift of this faith that we participate in. So to talk about home, we've got to talk about some things. We're going to talk about rebuilding, and if we can do that, then we can talk about the evolution to Jesus. And if we can talk about the evolution to Jesus, then we can talk about some commitment and some consistency. And if we can understand commitment and consistency, then the queen, my friends. Some of you just said, oh, Lord. I like that. It's good. And if we can talk about the queen, because I know you haven't heard anything about it all week long. And then we're going to talk about some clear communication. And if we can talk about clear com- communication, then we can talk about corporate inclusivity. And if we can do that, then my life be like... You guys are great at this. This is great. There you go. We're going to do a little bit of that work together. Follow along with me in Leviticus chapter 1. 
The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, again, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting is the dwelling place of God. I know that you're already falling asleep, but for the Jews, for the Israelites, for the people of God, this was exciting. Imagine a world where you don't go and journey to go look for God because you know exactly where God is. That is revolutionary. That is what we are all searching for. That we all go on these journeys for the new guru or the next thing or figuring out our own faith or the tradition that we come from. And this is a story of saying from the book of Exodus, God came and found you exactly where you are and freed you and liberated you from your Egypts and your pharaohs because that's who this God is. Which is a revolutionary story 3,000 years ago because this God just doesn't serve the emperors, the pharaohs, and the top 1%. This God saves slaves. This God liberates all people. What a different version of God. And this God not only liberates all of humanity and saves all of humanity, this God also shows up. And so this God has a tabernacle or a tent of meeting. And so something I did last week, and I'm going to continue it on because there's still a little bit of a young life leader in my bones. Because every time I say tabernacle or tent of meeting, all I want from you is a little bit of ooh, <laughs> ah. And we'll do it together a lot. Did it last week? We got months of this ahead, people, so buckle up. If you're like, I'm sick of this guy. But here's what I want it to do into your brain, is that when we do that, even that silly little exercise, it's a reminder of, ooh, God is here with us. This is the amazing story of faith and tradition that we follow into. Ah, relief, exhale. I don't have to keep searching everywhere. This God is already within me. That is a gift. If you look at the evolution of the scripture, if our HDMI cables came back, oh, praise God. <laughs> Jesus, or, first, or John says this in chapter one about Jesus coming to you soon. John chapter one. Do we got John one? Maybe. Hey, we got it. So the word became human and made God's home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. That the evolution that's happening from Leviticus to Jesus is this story. This story that God dwells among us. That this is who God is. That we don't go searching after God. That God is always coming to us. As Richard Rohr so eloquently and beautifully says, that the story of Jesus is not about God changing God's mind about us. It's about us changing our mind about God. That God already had God's mind made up about us. We're good. You're my creation. Not only are you my creation, not only are you my children, not only are you loved by me, not only am I pleased with you, but I want you to co-create with me. That's the reality of the universe. And we forget that. As a famous priest said in Pasadena, and we quote him all the time, we come to church to reverse the amnesia of the world. We come to remember all of the things that we often forget. And often what we forget are the truest things about who we are. And so God makes it plain and clear. I'm showing up to you so that you don't have to do the guesswork there. I'm showing up to you so that you can remember who you are so that you can take responsibility in this world and be co-creators with me. Paul will take it even further because when Jesus comes along, Jesus is like, I got to get out of here because the Holy Spirit is within you. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. 
Paul says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? That's the gift of the story, is that God's Spirit, I got an amen coming from the front, I like it. You can keep it up, brother. That the Spirit of God is already within each and every one of us. That is revolutionary. That is evolutionary, and that's a story that we need to remember as we think about home. And as we think about home, I don't know how you answered the question, but home can mean so many different things to us. Where do you find home? For some of us, do you find home within yourself? I know for many periods of my life, it doesn't feel like home within here. It feels like I'm running or I'm hiding or I'm scared or that when I sit with myself, I don't want to be there. And it's easy to numb. And it's easy to escape. And it's easy to cope because I don't feel at home in my own flesh and blood. Maybe for some of you, home is in a house, that that is a place of safety that you know because you know that other people there care about you and see you and remind you. Maybe for some of you, home is family. Maybe for some of you, family is the farthest thing from home that you could ever imagine. Maybe for some of you, home is the city. Maybe for some of you, you move to this city because you are going to fulfill those dreams of telling stories for the rest of the world, but you feel like an outsider here. You feel lonely here. Can you make it here? Is this really home? Maybe for some of you, you want home to be the United States of America, but this place is not welcoming you into its doors. That this place can never truly be home because we proclaim one thing from our Constitution and another thing with our actions. Maybe some of us are trying to find home on planet Earth, and do we treat this place like home? Or do we treat it like a house that's dispensable, and we just take what we need from it, and it's not a place to be celebrated or cared for? Home is all kinds of things. And I think it starts with when we can find home within ourselves, then slowly that home moves outward into the rest of the world. And so as we think about rebuilding home, I just want to rebuild it in three very specific ways. And the first thing that I want to build is, they got this up here, I promise. We want to talk about commitment and consistency and clear communication and corporate mutuality. And so as we think about commitment and consistency, that when I see the story of Leviticus, the thing that we already have taken off the table is that God has already shown up, is that God has already done God's part in commitment and consistency. The beauty of Leviticus is that Leviticus is saying, now I want you to participate in some things because I want you to grow up. Many of us were given a version of faith where Jesus does everything, where Jesus sprinkles magical pixie dust on us, and because of that, we never have to grow up. We just keep having problems and hurts and pains, and we raise our hand, and it's all supposed to magically go away. How many of you raised your hands? And how many of you did it all go away? Half some of you doing a little bit of this. Okay, all right. Because the story of it is that in the story of liberation, in the story of salvation, in the story of freedom, God is saying, I'm always going to do my part. But then the invitation is now that you will do your part. In the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, it's a story of God doing liberation and creating covenant through God's people. And then it's things like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy where God is saying, now I need you to rebuild a better society where you don't make more slaves. You understand what oppression is like. You understand what it's like to be under Pharaoh. How dare you ever go do that to another human being? So let's create a better society, a better world, better families, better homes, better individuals, and that's the thing that will corporately heal the world. For Jesus Jesus says, I'm going to come dwell among you, but I'm asking you to follow me. Follow this way of life. Follow this path. Live and mimic me. This is the invitation that we're, we're brought into. 
That God is already practicing commitment and consistency, and the story of Leviticus is now, will we practice commitment and consistency? That if we're going to build a home with one another, then we have to simply show up. Do we show up to our own lives? Do we show up for ourselves? Wherever you named home as, am I committing and consistent to simply showing up to that thing? Because if it's ever going to change, I have to show up. If I don't show up, I promise you it will not change. Things don't change by osmosis on their own in this world. That is not how systems are are taken down, and it's not how family organisms get better, and it's not how individuals heal. Individuals heal and all these other things take place because we show up in our own lives. The queen, to some of your chagrin, apparently bringing her up. Uh, And I understand that there's colonization and a lot of horrible things that come with that story. And there's also a story of somebody who committed to something in this world. And that part, I think, is fascinating. Somebody committed to a story for 70 years. And I wonder what it's like for us to find that deep commitment and consistency to whatever our thing is. It's not to the United Kingdom, but can we find commitment and consistency to our own lives? Can Can we commit to showing up to who we are into our own bodies, and can we take small steps in that process if we're going to rebuild home? Because here's why. You can spend all of your time on social media critiquing everything else. You can spend endless amounts of time in cynicism. And 10 years from now, where will that lead you? Or you can show up for yourself today, knowing that God is already there. That's the story. And you can choose to commit and to be consistent to who you are. I have a friend who is in an eating disorder group. And he shares a story with me about being in that group. And he started to share some things about the body dysmorphia that he's been going through for 40 years. He started to say some things. I'm like, I don't love myself a lot. And I never realized it. That as somebody who's gone through addiction and through a lot of pain and through a lot of trauma, I've coped and cared for myself in all kinds of other ways, but I've really lost sight of the ways that I don't really love who I am, the ways that I question myself, particularly my body, this temple of God every single day. My friend said to me, yeah, one of the things that we do in class is that when you feel comfortable, just go stand in a mirror and thank yourself for a part of your body. And as you grow into that, you know, get naked and stand in a mirror and thank yourself for a part of your body. And I stood there for seven minutes with the door closed to my closet where a mirror was, and I couldn't thank myself for anything. I realized how uncomfortable I feel in my own skin. And every time I tried to thank myself for something, it was always an opportunity for critique. That could be just a little bit better. I wish it wasn't like that. I wonder what others think. And I'm like, I'm a 37-year-old grown man And I've never, ever taken a step to realizing that I don't love my own body. In fact, sometimes I hate my own body. And I'm critiquing my own body. I've never seen a picture where I'm like, God, I look good in that. God, I feel good. It's always, let me see the picture. You know you zoom in only in yourself. There's 100 other people there. You're like, oh, this is such a great photo. Let's get another one. Something's wrong with that, right? And then it's not fair that I have a wife that every picture she takes, like even if she's like caught, you know, like, uh, you know, in some weird position, she still looks like beautiful and gorgeous and stunning and radiant, which I love. But every picture I take, I'm like, <laughs> like, how did that happen? But the truth is probably just the way that I see myself. It's probably the way that I just feel at home within my body. 
And that was just two months ago that this happened. And I made just some commitments and consistencies to how can I thank my body every day? How can I show up to be present here and just say, uh, thank you for getting me here. Yeah, it's not my favorite love handle, but man, we've eaten some great meals, haven't we? <laughs> Daddy's got some ass. Thank you. And I'm thankful for every margarita that got this ass where it is today. Is that a normal thing that pastors say in church? It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And if we can move from commitment and consistency to rebuilding home with one another, then we can move towards clear communication. Think about what's happening in Leviticus in this story. What we're going to do over the next however many months and weeks is we're going to read the next seven chapters, which is all about sacrificial laws. I know, it's going to be exciting. And we look at these things, we're like, man, this feels outdated and archaic and what's going on here. But imagine this world 3,000 years ago where you're playing guessing games with the gods, that every time you plant something or do a worship service or don't do something, is it going to rain and is it not going to rain? And imagine just the confusion and the angst that you have all the time. Am I making this God happy? Am I making this God mad? What's going on here? Is this not right? Imagine how many of us just felt like that growing up in evangelicalism, right? Did I say the right prayers? Did I do the right worship songs? Is this enough? Is this enough? I'm here! I'm worshiping! Right? We all had the things where we just felt like, am I doing this thing right? And the story of Leviticus, in some ways, is clear communication where God is saying, these are the offerings that I want you to bring to me. And these are not offerings where you're trying to make the rain God make more rain. All of these offerings are about building right relationship. How revolutionary was that thousands of years ago? These offerings are about us knowing that we're in right relationship first and foremost with other human beings because this God doesn't have an ego. This God's not scared and be like, oh my gosh, your hands aren't high enough. What am I going to do? I only have 100 billion stars and 100 billion galaxies. No. This God is like, I want my children to know and love and care for one another. I want this beautiful co-creation that I participate with to have clear communication tools so that when they hurt one another, they know how to rebuild and to repair and to restore. What a good God. How many of us have been in relationships where we don't have clear communication? This is not a part where you raise your hand, by the way. That's where you get in trouble. So you're like, that's me! We're in that relationship where you're playing guessing games all the time. You ever been there? Oh, you know why I'm mad. I, do, I actually don't. That's not a thing that I know, right? I say all the time when I do couples counseling with people that uh, it, what do I say all the time? Yeah. An uncommunicated expectation is called the resentment. When we don't communicate the thing to our partner, it's called a resentment. I just want to tell you a secret about your partner or about every other person in your life. They are not mind readers. I know. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a big deal. But sometimes we think that they are. But maturity is our ability to have enough self-awareness to convey our needs. That's a big deal. That when we have maturity and when we have self-awareness, then we can convey our needs to one another. And here's the crazy thing about it. After we can convey our needs, we can begin to convey our wants. That's a big deal. But it starts with saying, I have some clear communication to tell you what I need and where I'm at and how I want to be loved. And I'm going to trust that you're going to do the work and you're going to be able to tell me the same thing. And then after you do that, 
now we get into the fun stuff. That our wants are crazy as human beings, and that's okay. But it's beautiful to have that much safety and care with one another that we can live into our wants. So if we can live into commitment and consistency, and then if we can talk about some clear communication with one another, then uh, eventually we can... I forgot my last point, to be honest. I don't even know what it was. Can we bring the slide back up again? Anyone else remember it? That was good. Corporate inclusivity, for the love of God. I got into all kinds of other things. Something I'm going to harp on when it comes to Leviticus is that it always ends with the corporate reality. Many of us have lived in a world where the end-all, be-all is our health and our love and how we take care of ourselves. If that is the story and the message that you are hearing that is such a small story for the rest of the universe... You go find healing, not just for yourself, but for the next person in need. You go do your work, not just for yourself, but for the next generation. I will learn to love my body, and I will learn to appreciate it so that my weird stuff doesn't leak to my family. So that my kids don't grow up in a world where they have unhealthy views of their bodies. This is the work that we're doing. And we're going to do that work with one another. We're going to rebuild home, and we're going to repair, and we're going to commit to some things and be consistent with one another, and we're going to have some clear communication so that we can tell a bigger story in this world and that we can practically live in a different way. Because what beauty will it be in our lives if we can begin to love and accept home, if we can begin to rebuild it with one another? Imagine that you can find home within yourself. Imagine because of the commitment and the consistency and the communication that you have, you can begin to build home within the house that you live in. What would it look like for years from now that you can build home with your family? You all make me so hopeful. There was somebody who shared who for 25 years, her parents didn't accept that she was a lesbian. She had married another woman 20 years ago, had gotten divorced, and her parents were like, finally, this is her chance to love a man. Right? And there was a lot of pain. Her brother still doesn't speak to her, and we got to have uh, dinner with them last night, and they were telling the story, and they shared last week here for good news that now those same parents who grew up in conservative Wisconsin, and they were so conservative Catholic that they didn't like the other conservative Catholic schools, so they decided to start their own more conservative Catholic school so they could raise their daughter in it, who became lesbian. Gotcha. Right? <laughs> And that family is now coming to her wedding with the wife that she's marrying. How hopeful is that? There's a lot of pain and trauma in the story, but there's the constant reminder that rebuilding can still happen. That if we choose for commitment and consistency, at least there's hope that maybe something can be repaired and restored. Not always the case. You should set boundaries. You should protect yourself. You should not set yourself up for more harm. But there are those beautiful stories in this world where maybe, just maybe, when we commit to home, when we're consistent with home, when we communicate with home, when we invite other people into our healing journeys, that hope and goodness can happen. If you would find those same three or four people around you, would you answer this question? What home are you committed to rebuilding? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.